Welcome to another episode of 20 Minutes with DailyStreets.com. This is your host, June Ramli. Our guest today is Kuala Lumpur-based Yasmin Mahmoud. Yasmin has a very highly distinguished career spanning three decades, during which time she has worked in, with various technology giants, including Hewitt Packard and Dell. In 2006, she became Microsoft Malaysia's Managing Director and in 2014 was appointed CEO of Malaysian Digital Economic Corp Sundaram Berhad, MDEC, and was instrumental in the region's digital economic transformation. She also served in various non-executive roles in prominent establishment, including the National Postal and Korea Company Post Malaysia as chairperson and much more. Apart from being the chair of Harriet Watt University Malaysia Board of Directors, Yasmin is also the managing partner of Future Ready Consulting. Without further ado, let's invite Yasmin to the show and ask her how she managed to ace all those high-powered roles with various multinational companies and more. Hello, Yasmin. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Hi, June. I'm good, thank you. And how are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. So let's dive right into the question. So what was the first tech job you ever ate? Well, the first tech, my first tech job was a um, to be a systems analyst because I graduated in computer science and applied maths from University of New South Wales of Australia. Yay! <laughs> Proud of my alumni. Uh, and um, I, I became a programmer, analyst programmer, but I tanked that job. Um, I was really a horrible programmer. So that was my first tech job. But the first job that I actually aced was when I worked with Hewlett Packard. And it was when I went in to uh, be a in, in, in marketing role, in a sales and marketing role in Hewlett Packard. So I combined my passion of doing sales and marketing with that of my uh, background, just in technology. So that was my first tech job that I aced in, which, is a, which was is, is a, is an executive in um, uh, Hewlett Packard. Um, was it hard for me to break into the industry? Well, the industry was very nascent at that time. I was one of the pioneers, at least in Malaysia. Um, there were hardly any women in the industry. So there was only me and um, one of the my, my colleague then was actually a lady as well. So we were a team of girls in a company were dominated by men. Um, so I was lucky in the sense that I had a, a buddy I had a buddy, her, her, her name is China, and she went on to become the uh, managing director of IBM. Um, and we were, we were supporting each other. I'm not sure if uh, China wasn't around, you know, it would have been a lot lonelier. But to answer your question, yes, it was tough. Uh, but I guess after a while, I don't even realize that... Um, that I was the only woman in a lot of things. I was the only woman in meetings. I was the only woman um, in uh, in conferences. Um, so it came to a point where, you know, I'm so used to being uh, in a room of dark coat, men in dark jackets. So when I go into a room and I see a burst of color from women, I get, oh, why? What? I get a bit disoriented. So yeah, it was tough, but you get used to it. And it toughened me up, I must say. It toughened me up. Awesome. So uh, some people perceive working in same jobs as um, difficult and demanding. What would you say to young people considering considering a career in this industry? 
Well, you know, this is um, I know this is a uh, this is a uh, very prevalent. You know, the fact the fact that a lot of girls are have a stigma against you know against technology, against STEM, against science. So that's something that I I must say I could be an outlier in that because I fell in love with science the moment I saw those little people on TV and became curious about how that thing worked. So I think the curiosity, um, you know, is is something that got me into STEM, um, but it is I, th I think now as i am a champion of uh, uh advocating um, you know women to get into stem especially young girls i i ask them to not think of stem as an end but think of stem as a means to an end and if you think about the fact that anything that you want to do in this world right now any problem that you want to solve science and technology is at the foundation of it science and technology can help of course i'm not undermining the other elements of social sciences and the other elements of liberal arts they're all important but the foundation of um of science and technology as an enabler towards solving the world's problems right now cannot be cannot be um cannot be overlooked so look at it as a problem solving you know, girls, I know that women and girls especially, they want to solve problems. And to think that if you want to solve a problem, you cannot solve it without having an element of science and technology behind it. So think about it that way. And, and you know, in my interaction, in my past um in my past uh, involvement in, in advocating uh, women and, and, and girls into technology, this is exactly how I had positioned it and it, and it worked. The moment you tell the girls, oh, you got, you know, you got to understand coding because you got to do this and uh, they, they get they get a bit uh, turned off. But if you tell them that, you know what, you, you know, to, to build an agri uh, a, a transformative uh, agricultural system to support a uh, uh, future of farming, uh, you got to do a little bit of this. Then they will just have no qualm about doing it. So think about it that way. To answer your question, June, don't think about mm -hmm. it as uh, a stem. Think about what is the problem that you want to solve. What is it that you want to do? What is the outcome that you want? And work backwards and use and think of stem as a tool, as an enabler towards solving that problem. So, um, all right. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Malaysian women and working life and their working life. So. Generally, Malaysian women, right, they tend to slow down in their careers uh, with some completely hanging the boots after marriage and children. So with mm -hmm. uh, the emergence of remote work recently with COVID and everything, more of them can now enter the workforce. And uh, Malaysia can, what do you think of like Malaysia finally being able to untap, to tap into this uh, untapped resource? I'm not, sure whether, I'm not sure whether it is just a Malaysia problem. I think it is a, somewhat a global problem where we find that um, women, um, there is a leakage, you know, women, you know, as, 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 as especially as the higher you grow, yeah, higher you grow. And there's a lot of reasons around it. It's around whether a choice. First of all, women always have choice. Women is empowered if you choose to stay at home. Women is empowered if you choose to go all the way up the corporate ladder or go all, all the way up to be an entrepreneur. So the, the, the key point is about the empowerment towards making um, that choice. Now, what is happening right now? And it, 
it already was starting even before COVID, but what COVID did was to really accelerate it. And the, the question is around no longer about work-life balance, but it's around work-life integration. So it's not about you work and you, you have a home and then, um, you know, and then you try to balance the two. It's about integrating it. And how do you integrate it? We saw uh, to a lot of extent, some, you know, through a lot of painful experiences as well, but, you know, people now have gotten the DNA for it, which is, how do you integrate the two and things like um, work from home, right? Mm -hmm. Things like freelance work. So, you know, you heard about this COVID, this whole phenomena around, it's called the great resignation. Um, yeah. You know, it's not really, a, to me, it's not a great resignation. It's really a, a migration from a typical uh, work uh, environment of office work towards where uh, you do a lot more of this gig, gig economy, you know, the freelance kind of work, uh, being an entrepreneur. So I think, um, you know, this is a phenomenon that's going to continue. It will all go well for women because you're right. This is when you can really, you know, women do not have to make those tough choices anymore. But the tough choice is more about how do you make it work together so um any company and i'm pro i'm promoting this in companies that i sit on boards right now mm -hmm. any company needs to make sure that you have you no longer um count on a uh, a workforce that is willing to come in and commit to your to commit to your loyalty towards your company uh being able to play by the rules of the company it has shifted towards more of a freelance uh, towards more of a gig economy so yeah. you need a company needs to be able to marry the two you got to have a workforce that is, you know, a traditional workforce, but mm -hmm. company will need to have policies and programs that will also unleash and tap on uh, a freelance or a uh, or a or a uh, you know part-time uh, kind of work. And this will even accelerate more as the new millennials, as the you know Generation Z comes into comes into play, and the whole concept of the gig gigs you know it's no longer a job it's no longer a career but it's about pursuing what you love and pursuing what you want to do in burst of um in burst of assignments or, or or gigs as we call it so yeah and i think this will all go well for um unleashing the power of women and empowering women to really do what you want to do awesome answer so i love it so as malaysia's most successful technology and business leader did you face any challenges in the industry that is dominated because um, when you started your tech career you were like you said just now you were sometimes you'll be the only one in the meetings so how do you deal with your male colleagues like how do you get them to mm. listen to you mm. so um you know i always say that you know if, if 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 i were to describe my journey i've always described it as climbing the corporate ladder in stilettos and a baby in tow and, you know, all of the things that we talk about right now, things about stereotyping, things about bias, things about the Me Too movement, you know, I have, I mean, the, the Me Too, uh, 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 I mean, about sexual harassment and all that. Yeah, I've been through all that. But there's a huge difference. Then it was a case where we've got to suck it up. You know, if you were to talk about it, if you talk about, you know, uh, 
pay inequality, if you talk about uh, having bias, and I used to have a boss that comes and say that, oh, you know, because I've got two girls, really hardworking girls working for me, and I've got to make sure I squeeze them dry because before they get married and they have babies, and then I can't count on them too much. Mm -hmm. you know, so you have those kind of, and, and you're allowed, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to just stick it in and smile and be sporting about it, right? Um, but now what has changed, and people always ask me, over 30 years, have a lot of these women... Um, women empowerment that that I champion and so close to my heart has it really changed so my question is that in some ways it's changed a lot um mm -hmm. yeah it's changed because that boss of mine that said that would not have been able to get away with it right now and mm -hmm. uh, now we are allowed to speak out about it now they know it's wrong and now there's a realization that women in the workforce is an imperative it is a business imperative you know, you don't support. I mean, I always say that I'm not a woman advocate because I'm a woman. I'm a woman advocate mm. because I'm a leader. Mm. So so that has changed a lot. And I think that's a big significant change. However, you know, you talk about the statistics, the percentage of women on boards, the percentage of women in the workforce is still, still, still so, so far lagging. So in that mm. respect, a lot of things still hasn't changed. So did I go through all of those? Yes, I did go through all that. How did I overcome it? It was with... Um, strength and resilience and just a lot of um practical things you know i mean i always say that um you know to be to be to be to be considered to be in a room of um, men and be make make sure that they are comfortable with you because they're after all they're humans right mm -hmm. just to be comfortable uh with you i've got to learn i mean i've got to talk about football thank god i love football so that's always an icebreaker you know, I took off. I, I, I took. I took on golf. You know, so sports. Mm -hmm. You know, sports. Luckily, I'm a sports person. So you find these things to ice break it, and so you open the door. And um, but at the end of the day, it can only open the door. Uh, but once you're inside there, it's always this. What you know, you just got to be. It's true. You got to be better than the mm -hmm. guy next, guy next to you. You got to be better, and that's fine. That that is to our advantage eventually. Awesome. So there is a balance between um, a security of an existing job and the need to move on to new challenges and opportunities. So, um, sorry, I just wanted to say that um, a lot of careers moved many times. So when is the, when do you think, uh, do you feel is the right time for you to leave a job? Because all your jobs are all high powered jobs. So how do you like tell yourself, okay, I should leave this role and move on to the next, you know? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I've never thought about it from that. But okay, let me just share with you what happened. So I've been very driven, you know, from, 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 because I came from an underprivileged, I came from a small village in Malaysia. Um, my parents were teachers and, um, you know, and uh, I wanted financial security. I wanted to take care of my family. So I was from, 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 from young, I already had goals. I wanted to get a scholarship or to go and go study university or to come back and work. I wanted to become a team leader. I wanted to become by, by a certain age. So um, I wanted to work for a multinational company. I wanted to be a general manager. Um, and that was it. That was my 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 end. The end of my of my this intense planning was to be a general manager for a multinational company, and I reached that before I was thirty years old. 
Um, so there was a take. Then I said, hmm, what do I do next? You know, because I, you know, what is it that, what, what do you want to do next? So I was driven. I mean, and you always have to be driven. So the the first the first drive for me was about financial security and success, um, and the second drive was about proving. You know, it's about proving you can do it. So I, so how do you, I was headhunted since I got the general manager role in multinational, I was headhunted. Um, and, you know, whether to make a decision, whether or not it is, um, it is something that you should do or not. First of all, you got to understand where you want to be. What is it that you want to do? So I wanted to prove myself. I, I was very happy in Hewlett Packard and I was headhunted to go into Dell. And I did not, I did not, I don't think about it. My bosses were very happy and I was part of a leadership development program to uncover and develop future leaders. Um, but the opportunity came in and, um, I took it on because I wanted to just uh, prove to myself that I could do this job that was so intense. You know, I mean, Dell is known to be a very intense organization. So I wanted to prove myself that I could do this job. And then eventually I, I was headhunted to go into Microsoft. Same thing. There was, you know, I was the first lady to um, to be a managing director of Microsoft, the only second Malaysian to be the managing director of Microsoft. So I said, okay, let's let's see whether I can do it. So it's about challenging yourself, and when you challenge yourself, you grow. So to me, I'm always driven by uh, proving that I can do something and challenging myself, and also learning. If people always ask me, what is my superpower? And I think my superpower is just this passion to learn to learn something new and to feel that I'm growing because once you learn you feel that you're growing um, mm. and that was, uh, that was that was the why I would make that move and of course the other part also is that you're you know somehow when you go through the whole process you ask yourself these questions you got to be able to rationalize before I make a decision it's always the head and the mm -hmm. heart aligned is you got to have all the takes the pros and cons i've got the list of yes and no's but at the end of the day you just have to go to, go to bed with this question should i make the move and when you wake up what was the first thing what was your first thought is it the thought of yeah i should do it or is it the thought of mm, i don't think so so and you always have to also believe in your instincts so answer your question jude sorry for the long-winded way of getting it but it's the head the heart and it must be aligned towards what what you want to do in with with yourself you know i money is important to me you know i like i said i came from underprivileged i mean i mean, I didn't come from a privileged uh, uh background so money is important to me but it not money was never i never negotiate based on money first money is always the last thing i negotiate so the strategy is always to go in there and make them want you first make them really want you and of course make make sure that you also want that want that job uh right and um never you know and 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 i always say that uh it's not that i want to negotiate for it but i want it to be fair money is important the pay is important because you know i'm not rich but i mean, I mean i'm not a i'm, I'm not I do have the luxury of being able to say, oh, I don't care about money. I care about money. But it's not, it's not everything. Uh, and more importantly, it shows how you value me. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, and, and, and that is my test of you. How much do you value me? And this is not only about when you get into a job, but also when you negotiate for, um, negotiate for I mean, you know, uh, during um, 
annual performances, annual reviews, and all that, right? First of all, you can make sure that you you do a damn good job, and you know that you are you are being valued, and you are in the top twenty percent, or top ten percent quartile all the time. Then when that happens, then you know that you've got the negotiating. You know they don't want mm. to lose you. It's the most mm. important thing. That is your trump card. If you don't have the trump card, it's difficult to negotiate. Your trump card is that they don't want to lose you, right? And when that comes, you know you you ask them, what is it? You know how much am I worth to you? And that gets them a bit unnerved. And and I remember I remember this is so so. And I always tell this story when especially to to ladies because ladies tend to not ask. You know, mm. um, important to, I mean, I don't ask blatantly, but it's important to know that, hey, I want my worth. I remember this when I was very young. I mean, not young. And I was in a multinational company. I was already a marketing manager. And my boss came to me and said, yeah, Yasmin, you know, I've got a good use. I've uh, made your, uh, I've given you a pay increase. And it was this, it was a, uh, you know, it was a reasonable, I think about 40%, 30%, 40% pay increase. And I was happy inside. But something inside me just said something like, hmm, Maybe I'll just say that I'm not too happy. So I said that mm, thank you. So I'll, I'll, you know, loudly, aloud, I said thank you. But um, I must say I'm a bit disappointed. I wasn't. But I just said I, I must say I'm a bit disappointed. And I could see the face of my boss change. And two days time, he came back. And my salary was more than doubled, because <laughs> it went to a different. A different, uh, a different uh, plateau. So they promoted me to a different category. So from that time onwards, I knew that first you got to have a trump card, which is they must want you. So you must work really hard, and you must really know how to what is it that they want, so that they they you know become a a, a valuable asset to the to the organization. And then you just sit back and you see what what comes you know because you've got the trunk you must ask for it you must know that you that is important to you but it's not everything so yeah so i hope that answers it yeah yeah it's a great answer so all right um you have been headhunted for roles numerous times so any tips on how candidates can approach these offers um in terms of interviewing for them because when you're headhunted right you're in a job you're happy and everything and then suddenly this this job comes in with a really good, you know, salary and perks. So, what is the approach like? So, I, I, you know, I, I do not go to every, every, I do not pursue every opportunity that I was headhunted for. You got to be very selective about it as well because, you know, you don't want to also come across as somebody who is so fickle and who's not loyal. I was very loyal to the company that I was with. Um, and I gave it my commitment and, you know, I had a very good relationship with every single one of them, even when I left. So I've always left because of a reason and the reason is because of growth. It's not about money. It's never about money. It's about growth, but the growth opportunity. Um, and that was consistent across the board. So if you read my CV, you will know that why I left. Because, you know, you, when you get interviewed, you say, why did you leave that company? Why should that company? And, you know, I look up to what were the reasons for them leaving the company as now as as I hire new people, right? Um, I just came back from an interview uh, just prior to this, uh, from interviewing people, right? Um, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, so you've got to be consistent about the reason. And if money is a reason, oh, oh, that was like, I stayed away from those people. You know, if money is the only reason why you move, then I think that is uh, that is a big red flag for me. So it must be a reason as to why. And for me, it's always the growth. 
it's always a growth opportunity. It's always a bigger challenge. Um, do you have any tips on how women should negotiate for their salaries? Should they always accept the first offer? Mm, well, um, like I said, I do not negotiate for my salary, actually. I I would make sure, like I said, I have the trump card. That is that I want to be in the top 20% all the time, right? Um, make sure that you're a performer. And then you go to do your homework also. You got to understand whether you are underpaid you know, I mean, if you are in that, in that, if you're doing the same job, somebody in the same job, uh, doing this and uh, and it's a performer, are you comparable? You know, what what should you be getting? And you must get your you must get your homework. And if you are fairly, you know, I mean, if you you are already fairly positioned and you are already well paid within the structure, I was very lucky to be in multinationals where I've always had that structure. And if you don't have that luxury, then you must for the rationale as to why at least do comparison you know with somebody who is equally you know in the same function and uh, you know in the same uh, performance category at least have that parity have that comparable are you being you know paid equal to that next person that's the first the, the first uh the first positions if you are then the rest is how much can you push a bit more so that's when you say ah oh, you just want a bit more you want a bit more you know so and that is just about uh you know don't be too mercenarious about it be gracious about it but uh you know yeah you should always try to push for a little bit more once the baseline is that you are fairly well you know you you are comparable for your role and for your performance then after that you just try to push for a little bit more always you know, push a lot, a little bit, not too much, a little bit. <laughs> awesome. So I read in a New Straits Times interview that uh, you actually uh, ditched a scholarship with the education ministry. You broke the contract, actually, mm -hmm. and uh, to pursue a corporate career. And I think in that interview, you mentioned that you had to pay a debt of 70,000 ringgit <laughs> to break that contract. Yeah, all, yeah. Brown, yes, yes, yes. So, um, some <laughs> yeah, I know it's a lot of money. Some people have a hard time ditching a scholarship to pursue a path, um, path unknown, but you did just that the opposite. So, um, for some people who are in a, such a crossroad right now, what would be your advice to them? Well, um, courage, I mean. Until today, I don't know how I, you know, I, I make that kind of courageous decision, you know, but it was a very, it was such a defining moment in my life. I mean, if I had not done that, then I wouldn't be where I am. Um, mm. But the decision was the fact that I, I knew I, you know, I've always driven, like I mentioned, I was driven about, um, you know, about, about about being successful and from from young i've always had this 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 vision of success as you know having three white phones on my desk and carrying a briefcase waiting in the lobby to go up in a high-rise building i mean i don't know how that vision came about but i've always had that as a definite success so and when i came back you know the uh, computer science and applied maths was really sought after uh it was you know, like I say it was a it was a, 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 a up-and-coming industry and um, so I just make that decision to say that, okay, if I were to uh, break free from it, and I, I knew some people break free of uh, scholarships and they don't pay, but I don't believe in that. I mean, I, you must pay. I mean, this is the first rule in life that is if you owe something, you pay up, right? There's mm -hmm. values in life. Um, so I knew that, um, you know, that I wanted to pursue this dream. So to answer your question, it's about pursuing a dream. 
if you do not, you just want to break it. If you know what you don't want, but you don't know what you want. And this is where when I talk to people, you know, say, oh, I'm not happy where I am. But do you know what you want to be? You know what is it? I mean, it doesn't have to be specific that I want this kind of job, but you must have a, you know, a sense of purpose. You must know what is it that you want, uh, at least the lifestyle that you want. And if you want to make any big decision, you know, because that was a big decision, right? But you must mm. have your true north. So understand your true north, because when you have your true north, every fork of the road becomes so easy. It doesn't become any major decision anymore. It was just a decision towards a, a true north. And that was mm. how I believe I could have made that decision because I had that true north. As unelegant and as unprofound the true north was, which is three white phones and a briefcase, but it was still my true north. I was 21. Hey, I had that true north, <laughs> you know, and I also had the true north of uh, having financial stability to support my parents, support my, mm. my, my family. So with those two, I say, okay, I can do it. I just got to commit to it. And a lot of people, again, made that decision and commit to it. I made it and I commit with it. So no matter how tough it was, no matter how much I, 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 you know, fell. And there have been many times where I fell. I had to pick myself up because that was a decision that I made. Awesome. So it looks like you're back into education. So now you're the chair of uh, Harriet Watt University Malaysia yeah. Board. So yes, let's talk about that job, this job currently that you have now. So what attracted you to be a part of the university and the education industry? So, you know, I've, uh, after I was, I was, uh, you know, headhunted to go into government. So I was the managing, mm -hmm. uh, I was the CEO for Malaysia Digital Economy Corporation. That was four and a half years of national service. So, um, you know, so then I, I decided to retire or semi-retire and take on non-executive positions and just pursue what I want to do. So now I sit on boards um, and um, I do a lot of, um, um, I, I do some investments into technology companies. I'm also chair of an AI company, but it's not a job to me, you know. So this, this like with her award, it is my passion. It is my cause and and I've always I've always started with education because you know my parents were teachers. I had a scholarship in education, supposed to be a teacher, but I decided to pursue my three white phones. So I didn't become I've always had this passion. My 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 parents were grounded with um with uh you know uh, leadership. Uh, I mean, with, with with developing young talent. And I've, mm -hmm. I've always, in all of my career, whenever I join multinationals, I've always had, the first thing I do is say, okay, what is our program around education? What is our program around empowering young people? So mm -hmm. I believe the future, our future is always hinging on, you know, it's always the foundation is always our young people. And um, I, uh, when I, when I was first approached by our provost, Mushtaq, uh, and, I, and I look at what Harriet Watt stands for, our 200-year-old heritage from Scotland, um, mm -hmm. some of the best academic uh, uh, program. And two things, two critical things that I was so animated by and I, I believe in it so much and it's so aligned with my course about developing young people for the future, young talents or young leaders of the future. Number one is that we are truly multinational university. Do you know that in Herod Ward, we can our students can actually take one semester in Malaysia and then can mm -hmm. decide to go and do two semesters in UK and finish mm -hmm. it all off in Dubai campus. 
and seamlessly. You don't have to decide it from the beginning. You can decide it, you know, as and when you go. So that is truly a global. And I believe that the future leaders, you got to have a global perspective because the world is global. You can never just be in your little, you know. So the global exposure and perspective is so so critical. That's number one. Number two is that we are anchored on. In the academic world, is called positive education, but what I call is a purpose purpose led leadership, uh, purpose driven leadership. What it means is that when our students come in, you know, we will teach them, you know, to be the best actual scientist, the best computer scientist, the best marketing or business person. But at the same time, embedded into our curriculum is also this four-year program that looks into developing you as a person, finding your purpose in life, and being able to nurture on how you will be pursuing that. And as you go through it, you know, I mean, I, I personally coach. Uh, I'm an impact coach. It's called an impact, you know, uh, impact. Uh, it's called an empower program. I mean, I coach 10 kids, and these are kids at that age, and we help them understand who they are understand what is their purpose in life and i can see as a mother of a of a of a of a young boy i can mm -hmm. see sometimes this boy sometimes they just go around life and not knowing what to do and be a bit a bit you know a bit of a of a uh, you know rebel sometimes mm -hmm. right but once you once you in a world that is so full of destruction and that is so full of chaos sometimes young souls and minds need to be anchored with a purpose and once you anchor them with a purpose then you unleash all of their full potential and because Herod Watt is so uh, committed to this you know and, and and I truly believe that this is this is this is the way forward you know global exposure and purpose-led uh, leadership so that's why I'm 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 uh, I'm proud to be the chair of uh, Herod Watt in Malaysia, the board directors in Malaysia, and uh, I'm very much committed towards this empower program uh, that Harriet Harriet Watt has. Sorry, I can talk on and on about Harriet Watt because I'm, you know, it's it's such a gem. No worries. Yes, it is. So, all right, that is all the time that we have for today. We have just been speaking to the chair of Harriet Watt University Malaysia, Yasmin Mahmood. Thank you, Yasmin, for joining us today. My pleasure, June. It's my pleasure. And I hope everything's fine in Sydney. I miss Sydney. Oh, yes, I hope to see you soon. And thank you. The pleasure is all ours. Be sure to join us the next time as we interview another interesting individual around the globe. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.